Pikachu? Uh, I don't know. Welcome to the Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and R.J. Heyman. We come to you every week to explore a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We are glad to have you with us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, you might as well face it. I'm addicted to spuds. <laughs> uh, I've churned butter once or twice living in an Amish paradise. Mm. Um, uh, like a surgeon. Uh, I, think, I think I'm a clone now. What am I listing, everyone? RJ? We, well, we're, I mean, I know what you're listing. It, Tell, weird Al. Weird yeah, Al, baby. Weird Al. Today, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want, but after we check in. Of course, your favorite is eat it. Let's just say it. Eat it. Just oh eat yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about fat? The uh, the bad the bad parody. Um, Very nice. We are going to talk at length about Weird Al today because uh, you've heard from some folks saying that you know maybe not every episode should be completely Corona focused, and I take that uh, to be a challenge. That I'm uh, you might be uh, sorry what you wished for, but um, but before so we're going Weird Al, we're going Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> uh, but the the two of you, we're you know we're in Weird Al's uh, universe. It feels like right yeah. now, um, not in always a good way. Uh, it's, it's not UHF. Uh, how's it going? Before we jump in, I mean, I really do. I was saying this to you guys before we got on. I really do feel like everyone is falling apart more now. Like I I do. I definitely feel that way. Like the first couple weeks. We kind of like looked on the bright side and family time and all this stuff and moments of that are still there, but it's definitely settling in more. I think with our kids, it's settling in more with my college students. I don't know. I just I feel like we're all uh, just taking a lot of grace, a lot of patience, and a lot of just remembering that like on a scale of one to ten, we're all functioning at like a mental health five right now. That's just kind of where I'm. Hmm. Where I'm finding my peace, you know what I mean? Oh, happy Easter, too. Mm. He has risen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, uh, yes. It was one of the, definitely one of the strangest Easters on record. Yes, um, yes. RJ, how was your Easter? It was good, actually. I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I pre-recorded our Easter service, worked really hard on it, but I was really happy, actually, with how it um, turned out. And yeah, so did that and then had a um, congregational Zoom meeting which was fun Aww. that a bunch of people showed up for and people were wearing their hats. And um, we had a, a number of people hid little Easter eggs in their video frame, which was kind of fun to find. And, but um, I feel like in spite of everything, we had a good a good Holy Week and a good Easter um, and just kind of taking a little bit of a day of rest today and probably tomorrow. And um, But generally we're, we're, we're hanging in there. We're doing okay. Yeah. We, just, uh, we just come to the end of our kids' spring break. Which is, feels Spring like a particular cold comfort right now. I mean, <laughs> oh. the, all the all the administrators at the school through their online Zoom stuff, and they're being so. I mean, they're champions. They're incredible sure. right now, yeah. and, and their hands are tied in a lot of different ways. But they're really doing a lot with what they can. But you say, you know, I hope you had a great spring break. And you'd be like, what are you talking about? They've been out of school for a month. 
God, I mean, how was how was your spring break? How was your? <laughs> what did you do that was so different? Spring did you try full fat whole milk or like what? How did you mix it up? Yeah, had, exactly, exactly. I mean, someone was asking us how it's going in our house. And I just, it's getting ripe. That's all I can say. Yeah. It feels like <laughs> you hit the wall every day. You kind of have this Groundhog Day existence wow. where you, oh my oh gosh, my another wow. day. Even Easter. Time for a harvest. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it feels like there's no such thing as a day off. Oh, you know, because just one you, you, million percent. Every single day, you're because yes. if you're at home, you can't you can't go anywhere. Like what no. I what I like to do on a day off, if I can, if I've got the kids around, I'll take the kid. I'll, I'll take Marshall to the zoo. We'll go to yeah. the playground. We'll go yeah. to the dinosaur museum. And now it's just like there's how many times can we scooter around our block? Like yeah. I just don't even know how many times can I play basketball and kick you know or, or kick the soccer ball or something. It's like well, I might as well work. I might yeah. as well just uh, be yeah. working on something. So. It's weird. Uh, yeah, but then it's hard to have a fully a day on. It's just surreal. And I mean, I I feel like at moments you caught me on a on a moment today where I'm feeling slightly more at peace. And uh, yesterday was Easter. You know, when I always find sometimes with Easter and the almost uh, spiritual injunction to be joyful in my in my own heart kind of produces its opposite. Even though it was beautiful outside, and I just start to feel a little bit despondent by about four o'clock or even two o'clock. Um, but today, one of the things that's made today such a good day is reading this ridiculously long profile on Weird Al Yankovic. Yes. Now, those of you who grew up in the 80s, 90s, or in fact, he is one of a very few artists who've had a top 10 hit in four decades. Um, Sam Anderson, the writer of Boomtown, wrote an incredible profile of Weird Al and his enduring appeal, which when you think about it is almost weirder than his uh, persona. And, uh, you know, most of us, at least I remember him from, he's the guy who did all of the really silly, almost always food-related, but not always food-related, spoofs of popular songs. And he became a cultural force. Now, Sam Anderson jumps into this thing by talking about going to a Weird Al concert. He said the crowd, thinking that for a parody artist, no one would come to a concert at a large stadium. This is what he says. He said the crowd was rolling through tantric nerdgasms, sustained explosions of belonging and joy. It, so felt <laughs> it felt religious. Near the end of the show, during the chorus of Amish Paradise, as the entire stadium started swinging its arms in rhythm, I unexpectedly found myself near tears. Weird Al was dressed in a ridiculous black suit with a top hat and a long fake beard, and he was rapping about churning butter and raising barns, and everyone was singing along. I could feel deep pools of solitary childhood emotion, loneliness, affection, mm. vulnerability, joy, beginning to stir inside me, beginning to trickle out and flow into this huge common reservoir. Weird Al had pulled off a strange emotional trick. He had brought the isolated energy of all our tiny rooms into this one big public space. When he left the stage, we stomped for more, and he came back out and played Yoda, his classic revision of the King's Lola, and then he left again, and I decided that this was the single best performance of any kind I had ever seen in my life. Weird Al Yankovic was a full-on rock star, a legitimate performance monster. And he was more than just funny. Even as a child, I understood on some intuitive level that Weird Al was not only the Shakespeare of terrible food puns or an icon of anti-style, but a spiritual technician doing important work down in the engine room of the American soul. 
What Weird Al parody did was enact a tiny revolution. It took the whole glamorous architecture of American mainstream cool, Michael Jackson's otherworldly dance moves, Madonna's sexual taboos, and it extracted all of the coolness. Into that void, Weird Al inserted the least cool person in the world, himself. And by proxy, all the rest of us weirdos, along with our uncool lives. Andy Samberg, the actor and member of the comedy group Lonely Island, told me that he grew up having Weird Al dance parties with his family. Each new generation of younger kids is like, wait, this can exist? Sandberg said. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's a Weird Al obsessive, credits Yankovic as an influence on Hamilton. He once lip-synced all of Taco Grande, a Mexican food-themed parody of the <laughs> 1990 hit Rico Suave, in front of his sixth-grade class. Michael Schur, the guy behind The Good Place and Parks and Rec, he's quoted as saying, it's a truly American thing to be like, get over yourself. Everybody get over yourselves. Madonna, get over yourself. Kurt Cobain, get over yourself. Eminem, get over yourself. No one gets to be that important in America. And he keeps going. Among the big personalities of the Los Angeles comedy world, his quiet decency is legendary. He is so, so incredibly nice. Sandberg, among many others, told me. He is the nicest person you will ever meet. Exactly what you're dreaming he'll be like. No one has ever heard Weird Al raise his voice in anger. He doesn't swear. When a script comes to him with a bad word in it, he politely asks for revisions. We'll stop there. I want to go into it. What I discovered reading this midway through is that with the way that uh, Sam Anderson is talking about Weird Al is the way that we have been talking about Dolly Parton on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, And he's a minister. And Conduit of grace. He's a conduit of grace. And if you can get to the link that we'll put in the show notes, I promise... Of they did a call for all these uh, fans of Weird Al to come for a photo shoot, and like like 400 fans showed up dressed as Weird Al. These are young people, old people, men, women, uh, you know, folks from India, folks from uh, Mexico, f- f- little kids, babies, married couples. You know, uh, it is the most incredible uh, photo you've ever seen, and. Um, but he is, he is a conduit of when we talk about uh, – when Christians talk about outsiders and sort of love, love for those on the margins, um, sometimes that's such a just a lip service thing. Uh, Weird Al is actually on the margins and not the cool nerds, not the nerds like the sort of, you know, the, 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 the models who say, oh, I'm such a nerd, but the actual awkward, pimply, cannot talk to people of the opposite sex, genuine nerds. Bedwetter. Bedwetters. And in fact, he goes on to describe how Weird Al, Sam Anderson talks about how he was a bedwetter as a kid. And Weird Al, it originally was an insult. He was called Weird Al at college. Um, And he ended up owning it in this beautiful way. I'm going to get to the end when I talk about uh, his uh, his, uh, tour. But before then, what what do you think, uh, RJ, what's going through your mind? A lot of things. I, I think it's a real encouragement to just love what you love and admit what you love, that probably the the best thing you like is actually the worst thing you like. You know, uh, I think about my um, unadulterated love for um, Tangled and other kind of Disney princess movies and and, and the sort of things that I don't uh, really want to admit necessarily, the th- kind of things that actually do make me cry. Um, and that sort of, I, you know, we use this word, word ab reaction quite a bit, that what is it about those things that feed us, that that nourish us, even though they 
they shouldn't, or we'd be sort of embarrassed to share that with somebody else. And and so, um, you know, I've never been a huge Weird Al fan, although I do love UHF. Like I own UHF, and I've watched it many times. That movie is, I think, really funny and, and pretty incredible. It's got Kramer in um, it. It does. That's right. And uh, Victoria Jackson and, and a whole bunch of other sort of B, uh, B-list movie stars, C-list movie stars. Um, but just to give yourself the freedom to love what it is that you actually love, uh, because that's where you're, you know, if you can tell that story, I mean, maybe this is for preachers, really. If you can tell the story of, of and, and connect with why it is what you love that you actually love and why it speaks to you, why it feeds you, why it heals you, you might actually be able to communicate with another human being. You know, that that's, there's something about the personal and the particular that ends up being very universal mm. in a strange way. Um, and then just to make the, again, to make the connection more uh, explicit between what he's talking about and between Christianity, it just makes me think of um, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 when he says, um, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Um, how he says, you know, consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, chose what is weak to shame the strong, chose what is low and despised, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, mm. uh, so that no one might boast. So, so, so this idea of... Um, chose what is weird to shame the normal. <laughs> yeah, ex- that's exactly right. Chose the bedwetters, chose the weird... Uh, chose the outcast, the, the 16-year-old, pale, scrawny college freshman. Um, yeah, it was just very, it was very powerful. Because uh, again, I don't know if I necessarily connect with Weird Al, but I don't know if I would have, if I would allow myself to, to connect with Weird Al because it seems so frivolous. Like, how could you spend your money on a CD that's just a, a gag, is a spoof and not serious? And yet it's beautiful, um, the idea of these people who find uh, tremendous hope and belonging at Weird Al Yankovic concerts. It makes me want to go. Mm. It makes me want to go to one and experience it for myself, you know? Sarah, what, any, anything, what, what comes to your mind? I mean, I was definitely raised in a household with a lot of Weird Al. Um, so I'm, <laughs> of course I you mean, were. You say I that was. like a weary. <laughs> so, well, I just like, he's like in this category. I was just sitting here thinking of all the things that I was exposed to as a kid that were weird, like, Weird Al, um, MST3K, Mystery yeah. Science Theater, yeah. Um, Kids in the Hall, PG Wodehouse was what my dad read to me every night. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, another layer. And I, huh? Another layer to the another onion. Another layer to the onion. Um, I, and I think about like how weird we were as a family. Um, just, we were so weird in Mississippi and I have friends who've known me my whole life who grew up in my neighborhood who have since said to me, you guys were always the weird family that our parents were like in kitchens, like, we don't know about that family. You know, I mean, we were like, we were literally the Taylor Ferguson's cause my mom didn't change her last name when she got married. Like just that was so weird, you know? And then it was like, you know, they both were from home and it, and they, the sense of humor obviously was like very specific and, like, I just try to picture what my parents would have been like at, like, neighborhood parties. And I'm like, I don't know. There's this story. This is, like, not even relevant. But there's a story about um, I was one of the big – it was a New Year's Eve party they had at the club. And my – and, like, everybody's down there and, you know, partying. And my dad's not a big – he loves parties. He's not a drinker. 
And he felt like my mom was down there too long. So he just called the cops and said that the party was noisy, even though it wasn't. So they shut the party <laughs> down. Like, they were just, I, I, and as an adult, I'm so thankful for it. As a kid, it was hard because it was like, why, why do I know these things, right? Like, why do we have these magazines and these books sitting around? Why do I know these things? And then I get made fun of in class because I ask these really nerdy questions or I'm like, really interested in something everyone else thinks is lame and I can remember saying to my dad one time like why like why are like why are we like this (laughs) and he said because we didn't raise you to fit in and like that's a thing I think about a lot in raising children now and you know our kids are such a product of our genetics and they're so quirky and funny and you know have these really specific like interests and they both overshare and I mean Annie today we had so we had a friend over for Easter for Easter lunch and um six feet away in the backyard which I know everyone's like that's not good enough but look he lives by himself and we love him and it's not your backyard whatever we're doing the best we can with us Mm -hmm. so we had him over and um and Annie was like really pissed at us yesterday because it was like a holiday day. So like you do the lunch at 2 p.m. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So she was on her kindergarten Zoom this morning and she goes and that her teacher is like, how was Easter? Remember, Annie's at the church school where her dad's a priest, right? She's like, how was everyone's Easter? And everyone's like, yeah, it's amazing. I love Jesus so much. And then Annie got on. She's like, Mr. Joseph came over and no one fed me lunch. <laughs> and I was like. Oh, my God. She's our kid. I don't know. There's something for me, like, having been raised in that kind of culture, like, it is hard as a kid, but it's also really beautiful as an adult that you, I don't know, I feel like I wouldn't be as, like, free as I am if I hadn't been raised, like, listening to Weird Al and, like, seeing the kids in the hall, you know? I don't know. There's just something really, like, there's a gift there that, like, I'm only realizing as I become an adult. That's I mean think that's really well put. I I um I feel I've felt the same way. I mean, I was the kid who uh, my dad wasn't like the other dads, you know, just right. uh, and anyone who knows my who my father at all, they they know that that's true. He was not right. a uh he was he was such a um, you know, um incredible role model in so many ways, but not in the sort of teach you to throw the football kind of way or be sto- yeah. stoic in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet I feel like that stuff has just given, you know, it was, it was authentic to him. He just, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to be weird. Sure. It was just uh, who he was. And I'm, and I get more and more grateful for it every, as every, uh, as I get older. Um, I want to read to you the part about his ministry in action because it struck me as this, it, it, it honestly is enough to kind of make a person cry and to really illustrate what grace and practice looks like. It looks like a Weird Al meet and greet. Uh, And this is what they talk about. He goes on tour with Weird Al, and he says Weird Al really stayed to himself for most of the tour, except for late at night after the shows when he would interact with fans in an elaborate VIP session. Photos, autographs, chats. Yankovic would do basically anything fans wanted. He would mug for the camera or flex like a bodybuilder or sign people's arms. He signed posters, cassette tapes, action figures, accordions, spatulas, glow-in-the-dark snorkels. <laughs> Spatula City, Spatula City. I saw him sign a package of bologna and an exact replica of a Star Wars uh, Stormtrooper helmet. Uh, these were not autograph hounds, but true devotees, exactly the kinds of people Yankovic placed at the center of his songs. Nerds, misfits, weirdos. 
They were less interested in a photo op than in a sort of spiritual transfer. Most of all, the fans thanked Weird Al. They thanked him for his music, for not dying of heat stroke on stage, for helping them survive cancer, for helping them survive their mother's cancer. I got introduced to your music when I was going through struggles in my life, said a young balding man wearing a brown suit, and the word struggles was surrounded on all sides by an unfathomable gulp of feeling. You helped me pull through. Weird Al listened with deep eye contact. Thank you, he said. That means a lot to me. Thank you for all the joy you bring to the world, said a woman in Minnesota. Thank you for making my best times brighter with your songs, said a man in North Dakota. Thank you for letting us all be ourselves. Thank you for you being you. Weird Al's bond with his fans is atomic. He will stop and speak with them anywhere at airports outside the tour bus for so long that it becomes a logistical problem. The fans approach him like a guru, and Weird Al responds with sweet, open, validating energy. Joel Miller, the friend who defended Yankovic from college bullies, said the relationship between Weird Al and his hardcore fans is deeply personal. He's giving them validation, he told me. They feel a kindred spirit. When they're at his concerts, they're in a safe space. They're able to be stupid or outlandish or whatever exactly as they want, and nobody judges them. In fact, it's the opposite. People appreciate them for what they are, not for what they aren't. The connection is so deep that it is more like emerging. And after a while, it struck me that Weird Al has basically spent his whole life making his music for exactly these people, which is to say, his childhood self. For many decades, he has been trying to delight Alfred Yankovic, the bright, painfully shy kid who grew up alone in his tiny bedroom. For the benefit of that lonely boy, he reshaped the whole world of pop culture. His ridiculous music sent out a pulse, a signal, and these were the people it drew, the odd, the left out, a crowd of friends for that lonely kid. As I watched him with his fans, sometimes I felt as if Weird Al was multiplying all around me, multiplying inside of me. We were one crowd, united in isolation, together in a great collective loneliness that once you recognized it, once you accepted it, felt right on the brink of being healed. I mean, that was not what I was expecting for an article about Weird Al. I, I was... You know what this makes me think of, though, that I have to say is it makes me think that we really have to respect what our children love. Like, one thing that's come mm. out of this time together is, like, and we've known this about our son for a while, is that he loves Pokemon, like, like loves Pokemon. And it's so, if you've ever watched Pokemon, it's so freaking intense that, like, sometimes I'm like, all right, we're going to take a break. Like, this is a lot of, a lot of like, Oof. loud, high-pitched crying and, yeah. And because um, if you ever watch these little animals and they're really loud and, like, there's like, these Japanimation women with, like, big boobs and small waists. So, like, I'm not sure that's a good image. You know, it's like a whole thing. And so during this time that we've all been home, we've, like, let each other pick out movies. And he was like, I want to show you guys a Pokemon movie. Like, we've always mm. avoided it. He's like, I want you to see what a Pokemon movie is like. And, like. What I didn't realize is, like, the main character, um, I can't remember his name. Pikachu? No, it's his, like, tra it's, like, the main trainer. Uh, I don't know. Um, like, part of his deal is that he's, like, really, really close with his mom. Like, his mom says stuff to him, like, you're my whole world. I mean, it's really melodramatic, you know? But, like, we were watching with Neil, and, like, when that part happened, he came over and sat by me and grabbed my hand. And I was, like, 
this means like this is speaking to him emotionally on such a deep level like it would be awful to not let him have this and to not like watch it with him and to not so like yesterday I sat down with a Pokemon book that kid has not learned any third grade math from me but I can tell you about water type Pokemons now because I was like (laughs) I'm gonna try to figure this out because I love him and he loves this you know incarnational ministry (laughs) that's as close as I get Um, but I just I do think there's something about like what I mean RJ is totally what you said at the beginning like it's like you should love what you love you know and as parents I think sometimes our tendency is to really kind of steer our kids away from different things for whatever weird anxieties we have that we're totally projecting onto them you know yeah instead of just saying like what is it like tell me why you love this like tell Mm. me why this thing like moves you i don't know no it's always the question is why do you like the music you listen to you like not yeah what should you listen to that's a that's a that's a secondary possibly a tertiary question right the real perceptive gracious question is that what is it that's speaking to you about this even though mm. because it to me it looks ridiculous and yeah or uh, just histrionic or that that I, I watched pokemon with my kids a couple times and i just had to leave the room it was so intense oh it's really intense but it's like a telenovela <laughs> there's a connection Japanese. happening yeah yeah yeah, but hey, I mean, but John Wick is no problem. I mean, just you know, just comparison. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch John Wick for days, but uh, but Sarah, it did strike me. Pokemon Go is is maybe the best social distancing, uh, you know, activity I can Absolutely. think of. Just like take t- take a walk, keep your distance, and Pokemon catch them all. people have been social distancing you know? for a while. They now. have been. Well, I gotta say, I I love. I hate. I'm thinking about it. Of course, I think about what he said for myself, and thinking about. Weird Al Yankovic as a model to preachers, and I do think if you can preach to your to your childhood self, oh, that's, that's so about good, RJ. that's about the best you can possibly do, yeah. right? And actually, at the end of the day, honestly, that's all I'm ever actually doing, right? Is I'm I'm saying what does Jesus have to say today for my childhood scared, lonely, ashamed um, self? Yeah, you know, or, or so I think that's. Um, that's something I will take away anyway. Yeah, well, no, in it, what a relief it is to find another one of these cultural icons who doesn't really disappoint. Uh, you know, we, we have Dolly Parton in that. We have probably Fred Rogers is in that. And not to say these people aren't human, but... The Holy Trinity. Al, I know, Al, I'm here Al, for that. Al Yankovic. Dolly, Fred, and Al. Mm-hmm. I think um, not who anyone would have maybe thought when you're growing up, but these are the... Um, and I think about really intense fan communities because I'm a part of a couple of them, and um, they're not all created equal because some of them, and especially in the age of the internet, like fandom has become like affinity groups, like these intense uh, internet communities of fans. Purity spirals. They become purity spirals a lot of times. It it starts to be a place where you, it start, ceases to be a place where you finally belong and becomes a place where you better belong. You know. Have to prove yourself have even to more prove than you yourself. did before. And Weird Al, just by maybe by being starting at the point of such oddball, you know, his love of accordions and polka music. I mean, that's how he. They, they talk about his sort of the road to Damascus moment in in Weird Al life is like when he performed with his accordion and did like a Cal Poly. A, oh my god, a ten minutes, so great. A ten minute accordion medley of like greatest every song ever written, and the place just went electric. And I thought to myself, that's a beautiful 
talk about left-handed power and uh, yeah. amazing. And I also know, amazing. by the way, I mean, I could insert this in here. I, I think it's somewhat public knowledge, but Weird Al's a Christian. And um, oh, I didn't is know he? that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, are you really? I'm positive. I well, I, I say oh this because gosh, they are the Holy Trinity. I was I was kidding, yeah. but now it's it's true. No, I say oh this gosh. because he and silliness. I think uh, uh, not. It's not. It's different uh, than absurdity. Silliness itself is such a virtue, and I find it to virtue. be a spiritual virtue, and maybe not the <laughs> not the it one. Is, that, it was saving us right now. Yeah, it may not be the one that's easiest. To, and as we've seen, we kind of it's kind of tough to talk about, but it's important to talk Foolishness. about. Foolishness. Yeah. Foolishness. Silliness. It's the same thing. Well, when I wrote this book about music called A Mess of Help, mm-hmm. which I loved, which was very oh, much yeah. an outpouring of my own adolescent and uh, uh, obsessions with music and connections sort of, you know, stuff. And it's really a spiritual testimony of a book. But uh, someone came to one of those book signings who said, "Do you are you a fan of Weird Al Yankovic? And I said, well, I mean, isn't everybody? But I, I don't, not nothing beyond the big hits. And um I think I had last checked in around um, a white and nerdy was the great was this his song, his song. <laughs> or Amish Paradise was such a kind of last gasp for a lot of us. But um, she basically wanted to say she was a super fan and would follow Weird Al around the country and had given she wrote me an email a couple of weeks later saying that she'd given Weird Al a copy of my book. <laughs> Whoa! And I mean, who knows if you ever read it? But she said, please pray for Al. He's on the road. He's away from his church and. I know that it can be. He's with a lot of people that really, um, that, to whom he means oh a lot, gosh. and um, he means a lot to me. And uh, somehow, this strange fellowship, this constellation of of saints, had included Weird Al. And I thought to myself, if this is the only reason I wrote this book about rock and roll, well, then to, to, that I know that Weird Al has touched a copy of it, um, and he wow. is. And he has spoken to because when this woman talked to me about him, and she was maybe middle aged, maybe sort of later middle aged, and she almost got tears in her eyes talking about him. Again, Sarah, it's the way that you talk about Dolly Parton. Um, mm. And I thought to myself, there's something more going on with Weird Al than I ever realized. And so to hear it put in this way, and to know that he's he's wholesome and silly, but deeply uh, I- connected to people on the on the level of of you know their mother's cancer or wh- mm-hmm. whatever it is and he doesn't he doesn't sort of shy away from that i don't know all of it existing at once is is a gift was a gift to me this week in the midst of feeling isolated and feeling like you're in a room listening to maybe your kids but also your own little fixations and here's weird al bringing us all together so maybe the holy spirit is 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 it was was working through Weird Al this week, and I I feel like I want to watch so U- UHF again. <laughs> Remember, he gets I, to drink from the fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> we don't I, need no stinking badgers. I'm obsessed with how long we've been talking about Weird Al. <laughs> like I like that people are like, hey, you can talk about something other than Corona, and we're like, cool. So every other episode, we're just going to talk about Weird Al. This is the Dave Zoll Memorial episode, but I'm totally here for it. <laughs> I'm sorry, it. I felt like no, no, I love risk. it, Dave. It's perfect. Okay, I love well, the moving on, we're going to talk yeah. about something that Amanda McMillan, who is a who's been contributing to the blog quite a bit recently, and she's a minister here at Christ Church. She's on our staff. She did a devotional for our. Uh, uh, the Grace in the Time of Corona series we've been doing on Instagram and Facebook that everyone should check out. She wrote a blog post about how I'm gonna I need grace uh, in, during Corona, but I'm also gonna need it afterward. She writes, she says, lately I've been doing a lot more phone scrolling than I'd care to admit, uh, and a theme I've been seeing a lot of, among other less savory, anxiety-producing ones, is grace. It has surprised me and encouraged me. Some of this pep talk going around the internet looks like this. 
Uh, you aren't working from home. You're trying to hold down a job at home in the midst of a global pandemic and also homeschooling. There is a difference. Uh, you don't have to make this the most productive time of your life. You are doing the best you can. These are the refrains of grace she's seeing on the internet in sort of first secular sort of uh, voices. No one cares if you read those classic novels or not, or if you read anything at all. Watch a show about yes, a man Sarah. and his <laughs> watch a show about a man and his unhealthy obsession with tigers instead. Yes. Um, uh, screw sourdough and homemade kombucha and homemade pasta. Anything homemade, really. Don't cook. Order takeout. Be someone's hero. Uh, and the bar for your dressing yourself can be very low. Wear pajamas all day long, every day. Maybe change your skirt, your shirt for a Zoom call, but that's it. Then Amanda writes, The skeptic in me, though, has one question to this gracious internet refrain. Am I also allowed to not read the classics and never make kombucha when this pandemic is gone? Or is this a corona-only grace we're talking about? Because I'm going to not want to do anything productive afterward, too. <laughs> This is my wonderful, virtuous nature, after all. Pre, during, and post-pandemic, I will always be most gloriously me. And I have a sinking feeling it'll be full steam ahead New Year's resolutions for our world as soon as it's an appropriate time to bring it up. So we are receiving a gracious word and maybe giving ourselves a break because our world is a mess. But of course, our world was a mess before December 2019 when the virus was born, and it will be a mess long after. There have always been the exhausted, lonely, terribly anxious, and dying... We need a gracious word to do more than just change our to-do list for the day from a productive uh, uh, and glamorous eight hours to Tiger King every night and greasy hair, although that is very nice, too. Thank you. That struck a, a pastoral chord with me. Uh, I, we are. We have celebrated on this podcast these sort of gracious words saying, you don't have to make this productive. You are not a teacher. Uh, just get through the day. Um, and I, we've, I think we've all been encouraged by that. But then, as Amanda says, does it come to an end? When, uh, if, if this ever comes to an end, then we just need to get back out there? Or are we seeing a glimpse of something deeper and more true or uh, more important? I don't know. What, what do you think of that? I mean, I, Dave, one thing you said, I think in the first episode we recorded after all this has happened was like that everyone's doing it wrong, which... I, it's something I think about a lot and like take a lot of comfort in when I'm like, am I, is this going well? Am I, you know, are we doing this the right way? Um, I do think it's interesting. I love that she wrote about this. I do think it's really interesting that, that people are talking about like, I'm so, it's so uh, hard to say this without sounding condescending, but especially people who have all been like, you need to get out there and do more are the people who are like, let's all forgive each other and be gracious. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, there's a, a, especially sort of the left part of the church that often is the part that's like telling us we've got to do more and work harder and be better and serve our fellow human being, Get you know, and now there's this like, there's like this, oh, just take it easy on yourself and your mental health and wellness. I'm like, Girl, my mental health and wellness was not good a year ago, but you were telling me I need to be down at the food bank every day and worried about the healthcare crisis. <laughs> so, like, there's part of me that hopes that, like, maybe a couple folks hold on to that because, um, you know, I think we all need it. Um, I mean, I think this is a really good word that we need to be thinking about because she's totally right. Like, these think pieces that have come out that have said... 
you know, we all need to like rethink our capitalist ways and we all need, you know, once this is over, you know, don't just go back to the way things were. I'm like, honey, 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 honey. People are going to be running at breakneck speed to get back to the way things were. <laughs> like, when people write stuff like that, I just think, you are so out of touch with people's low anthropology, it kills me. And so, I think, I, I what I want to say is, I think that's impossible. But I what I love what Amanda writes here is, maybe it would be possible for us to say it was really nice when I was able to give myself some grace, when I was able to get some grace from maybe my neighbors, maybe my family, that I couldn't do all the things. And it would be nice to hold on to some of that. I mean, I don't want to like turn down a bunch of speaking engagements on this podcast, but I got to say, you know, we were going to do sabbatical and I needed all the Benjamins. And so I would sign up to do all these speaking engagements in May. And they've all been canceled. And I'm so glad. <laughs> and I'm part of me is like, you know, maybe I should have said no to those things to begin with. So it's um, I mean, I, I do think there's I think there's so much individually, and that's why I love what she's writing about that we can think about for ourselves, um, and for those that we love. Um, but I mean Girl, we all going to be at the Target as soon as this is over. You know that? Buying shit. I'm going to have throw pillows, new lamps. I ordered a cover for my chair the other day. I mean, like, we're going to be back at it as soon as we can be, you know, so. No longer spray painting things, I see. Well, I mean, that's just because I'm too scared to go to the hardware store to buy spray paint. But I'm I'm thinking, if I can get chalk paint in, I'm doing, the, I'm doing my dining room table. RJ. Well, yeah, I mean, she's she's right. It just it strikes me that it's not about external voices. It's about it's about internal mm, voices, right? Mm-hmm. That the three of us all mm-hmm. have the blessing and the curse to some degree. To we're pretty much all kind of our own bosses, mm-hmm. you know. But as someone once said, like, yeah, I'm I'm my own boss, but I've got a really hard boss. Yeah, like I've got a, I've, I've got a boss that doesn't really let me off the hook much, um, and so I haven't really had the time to read a lot of think pieces or to. You know, I'm not I'm not quite as engaged on social media as you are, Sarah. But but I will say I'm not I so I'm not hearing that hearing that externally. I'm just more hearing it internally, sure. right? The need to keep on going, to do my best, to serve my people, to um, uh, you know, to try to sort of get through and and sort of leave my congregation through this difficult time and doing the best that I can. And then also, you know, when you run out of steam or you find yourself at a low ebb, you. You you're like oh wait that's it's not all up to me like there is there is a God in heaven the kingdom does move forward his you know this this is not a surprise to him like he's got things under control even when I don't um, but hmm. yeah it's it's all it's all from inside it's not from outside I shouldn't I, say all I'd say eighty percent you know eighty I to ninety percent inside I just think that's like so perceptive I mean I, I hadn't really thought about that that it's so internal and that. I mean, I kind of need to hear what Amanda's saying for myself, just like right now, because it's just like, I mean, this past week, I had the grand idea that our church should give everybody. I told Dave, I told you about this Easter in an envelope, and so <laughs> I saw it, I saw it on Facebook. I was very jealous. I was like, those Holy so, Spirit let me, won Easter. So let me you tell you Easter. how <laughs> ugly this past week was. So it's three it's three hundred and fifty households, and it's and um and my friend came over, and we both put on those masks and gloves to pack them. 
And it was so hot that we'd strip down to not our underwear, but almost is standing in my kitchen doing this together. And all I could think about was those gangster movies where women are packing cocaine in their bra and panties. <laughs> it was like New Jack City pretty like, much. Pretty happy much New Jack Easter, City. Happy Easter, Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I mean, I need to hear this because I, I, RJ, that thing about kind of you're, you know, you're, you're, you're your own boss, but it's a tough boss is like, whew, yeah. it's a good word. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do want to celebrate or at least note that we are getting these sort of injunctions. It's okay if you're not producing. It's okay if these mm-hmm. things. And, and no, it's not. It's, <laughs> at the same time, it's uh, I. You know, uh, churches are still raising budgets. So are nonprofits and all that stuff. And th- th- oh those gosh, voices yes. are in the back of your head. And um, it. But w- what what Amanda says is that you know the the deeper truth that this is revealing about not just our world or the nature of life, but our own personal drives and things like that. And that we need something more than just a uh, shuffle of priorities. Um, you can tell she's a preacher if you read the end of it. And um, so, yeah, I needed that uh, myself, uh, knowing that we are just, you know, I, I, I do feel that this is a spiritually a tremendously ripe time you know i think that people are asking questions there is a sort of a uh things are closer to the surface um or at least they have been with uncertainty with death with real questions of life and so you want to you want to sort of maximize and then again um optimize i guess and all of a sudden you're back into the very thing that you're trying to to trying to offer a relief to a word of grace Mm -hmm. to so um I thought what another thing that appeared on our site this week. I, I, it certainly inspire has been inspiring our writers on Mockingbird. Those of you who aren't checking out our blog on a daily basis uh, are missing out. Uh, Todd Brewer wrote something about uh, lament because there's in the midst of this crisis, there's been you know rightfully so uh, uh, a, an uptick in people praising uh, or re- trying to reclaim the language of lament as something that Christians are and uh, just. Judeo-Christians are, are really have access to in terms of just asking why. The most uh, high profile of these was N.T. Wright wrote something um, for Time magazine. According to N.T. Wright, Todd writes, lament is the best resource we have in these dire moments. For Wright, what Christianity offers is not an explanation of the meaning of the pandemic or uh, even a comforting sign of relief, but a, a, it is it simply offers an avenue to ask God why and to not get an answer, to, quote, wait without hope. Now, Todd is picking a bone with this uh, idea. He says, in contrast to Wright and the Psalms of Lament, the New Testament holds sorrow and comfort together, bound by a confident hope in God's providential goodness amid disaster. Left to ourselves in the burden of our circumstances, uh, we are indeed hopeless. But Christianity hopes for what is not seen and believes in a God who gives life to the dead. Our faith exceeds mere sorrow in ways that are incongruous with reality. Where others see only death and decay, Christians see beyond the grave. Those outside the church grieve for those who will never return. For the Christian, sorrow and hope coexist in ways unimaginable to the world. Mm. The dead are those who are, are those who are asleep but waiting to be awakened by the Lord. Death is not ignored or reduced, but nor is it a one-way street. Instead, our sorrow is transfigured in the hope of the resurrection. Now, here's Todd's finishes with a really pastoral note. He says, In the midst of a pandemic, it can certainly feel as though God is hidden from us, lurking afar in some other part of the world. 
It's getting harder every day as more and more people we know and perhaps we ourselves get sick. By the way, Todd is in New Jersey where this he's not just whistling Dixie in a place where this isn't right. happening. Um, but the experience of a distant God is not the same as, as what God is actually doing. When the horizon of Jesus' life-giving death is forgotten, all one is left with are prayers of lament that place God on trial. Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? Instead, what is known about God is more than what appears to be true right now, that he sent his Son to make all things new. Jesus did not suffer with us, but he suffered for us to overcome death and take away our fear of it. That is who God is and what God is up to now. Now, that is a controversial word in a midst where, um, you know, um, and I'm going to reference something that Ann Lowry Forster also wrote for us a few years ago, because there is a, um, and I think the three of us are very much advocates of the ministry of presence, that you, you, you get in the room and you're with people in the midst of their sorrow. I mean, Sarah, you have that incredible story in Churchy about just... Um, showing up when your friend's father died, um, mm. and you just sit there, and you're just there. And that is often uh, so much better than opening your mouth or trying to say something. And yet, um, to act as though Christianity has no has only questions and no answers, I think I saw another thing, and it's almost always, frankly, on the left side of the church is like, you know, we are not a people of answers, but of questions, or like, we welcome those who have Lord Jesus, questions and questions. and, and have brunch in my bed, for God's sake. I get what they're getting at, though. They want to talk about an openness, and they're not going to be going to come down on you if you have, if you, if you're, if you're expressing doubt or open-endedness. However, in the midst of a pandemic, I don't actually need more questions. No! I need an answer. I need some... It, get, Honey, get, get me we, there's so many questions right now. Give me We're something to go on, right? We don't know if a vaccine's coming. It, we don't know if we can get it from takeout boxes. I'm worried about the neighbor's dog getting close to me. I don't need more questions, and I certainly don't need them about the risen Lord. Sarah, come sit with me in your questions, and we will just... <laughs> so I don't Let's walk us alongside each other in our questions. You want to just, at, sometimes. I need a mask and a filter and I need answers. <laughs> I, well, sometimes I understand we might need some space to openly express things, but sometimes, I mean, give me a, I do not need more questions. No. And uh, we, 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 we laugh, but that's where I'm at. And I, I, uh, I want to hear more, though, from, from you guys. <laughs> well, but the other thing about, you know, and I, I mean, I love Todd's take on this. I, I mean, the, the, the thing that so people always bring up for the Psalms and lament and they're always like, oh, this is the place, you know, you know, you can basically bring your questions and not get answers or whatever. And it's like they miss the fact that like every Psalm also has this beautiful thing that's basically like, but you are God and I trust in you and I know that you want goodness for me and I know that you love your people and like. That's also in there, right? And so we need to actually, like, swim in those waters as well. We need to find our rest there. Because I'm just not, I just, I can't find rest in in questions right now. And And I think, you know, we get into these very complicated questions. I mean, I feel like I've said this on the podcast every week. And I'm, and I've, Lord, I've said it too much. And I know that. But... This is a very difficult time for y'all who don't preach suffering to your people. It's a very difficult time because you don't know what to say. 
and if you haven't preached individual suffering especially, then you really don't know what to say. So if you haven't preached to your people two years ago about job loss, divorce, drug addiction, adult children that don't speak to them, then it's real hard now that you've got to kind of pony up and, and, and speak about all of those things in the midst of a pandemic. But that's what you have to do. You can't come at them and say, yo, gosh, well, we just, you know, theodicy and more questions. It ha- You have to preach. I mean, I just love what Todd says, that we're not, that it's not that, you know, in some ways it's not even that we suffer with Jesus. It's that Jesus suffers on our behalf. Like, please let me take a nap in that, yeah. you know? It's not let just. Find my answer's there. God is not just with us. God is for us. Yes. And those are those yes. if you lose either of those things, I think you've lost a big thing. But I'm done if I lose either of those things. I'm done. But the four part is yes. uh, it cannot be of people get so scared of saying it because they don't want to um they don't want God to prove them wrong in some way. Or they want to let God off the hook and just so they just say, Well, God is here in your silence and you sort of and and we we just oh, abide. People don't want to deal with their sin, Dave. I mean, that's the thing is like if you have to say that if we should say that God is 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 for us, if we have to say that God is 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 suffering on our behalf, then we have to say that we're sinful. And if we've never dealt with that before with the congregation, if we've never talked about sin in that way, then we've never talked about suffering. And here we are having to talk about suffering with no theological context in which to take it on in our congregations. I mean, that's that's what we're seeing, frankly. I mean, that's where this is going to be very hard for people. So, well, they, I don't when know. people are talking to Weird Al, they're not saying thank you for being being the soundtrack of this terrible thing in my life. They're saying thank you for making that time in my life better. Yeah. Thank you for rescuing <laughs> me is what they're saying. You know. Yes, it, giving me permission to eat lots of pizza. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, RJ. Dave <laughs> needs a good word. Dave needs a good word about. Pizza. I don't mean to. Eat I it. shouldn't have deflated. Just eat it. That's what I I, 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 I hear that though in there. What they're they're not just saying thank you for being <gasps> with me. They're saying thank you for also being for me and giving yes. giving me actual voice. RJ, what do you think? It's interesting. I, I've been on a bit of an emotional roller coaster with this issue of like lament and joy in the last week and a half or so because I'm I'm not a natural lamenter. Mm-mm. I'm not really, I'm not a mourner. You're not. Um, I'm really not. And sometimes I've wondered, like, is there something wrong with me? Am I, am I, because I'm an emotional person. You? I'm, I'm very emotional. You? Totally. Yeah. What? Just, just, <laughs> totally. Exact, shut up. But I'm not like a, a mourner. Like, character. And for, for the longest time I thought, well, it's just because no one close to me has died, right? I haven't mm. lost a sibling or a parent. And then my dad died. And it, I, I didn't really mourn that much or lament, and it's been a year and a half, and I'm like, well, it'll come, it'll come. Maybe it will. I don't know. And so I think I was feeling a little conflicted and guilty, and, and Nathan Hart's email was helpful. And I know, Sarah, like, I know you've been struggling through this oh, yeah. whole time, and I haven't really been... Um, I will say, I read the N.T. Wright article, and I did, I, I thought the T.S. Eliot poem, Waiting Without Hope, was, I actually used that in my Palm Sunday sermon, because the truth is we can hope for the wrong things. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's what Palm Sunday, we can hope for the wrong things, we can mm-hmm. love the wrong things, we can mm-hmm. put our faith in the wrong things, mm-hmm. and that's the story of Palm Sunday, right? Expecting God, expecting Jesus to be something that he's not. And so I found that to be very helpful but this whole lamenting thing, I, 
I guess I, I have this fear, like, am I just a Pollyanna? Am I just a, a, a you know, every cloud is a silver lining kind of person? I don't think I am. And so I, I received um, Todd's piece as a word of grace to me personally. And I did find, you know, when he quoted Paul first. Thessalonians 4.13. He didn't quote him, but he mentioned that verse, and I looked up Paul would have failed a pastoral ministry class. He would have. I mean, here's what he says. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who've died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. (laughs) You know, so he's basically saying, if you grieve, it's because you're uninformed and you have no hope. Now I don't I don't want to take that I, I would never say that to a grieving person although apparently the apostle Paul had no problem doing so you know um, I think where I am right now with it all is is what Paul also said in Romans um, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice uh, mourn with those who mourn as much as it is up to you um, live at peace with all and just let people feel the way they feel and to give myself that same grace. To be like, hey, if you're not much of a lamenter, if you're not much of a mourner, that's okay. Don't expect other people to be like you, um, but also don't beat yourself up for not being more downtrodden than you are. <laughs> you know. And that's not to say I don't talk about sin and suffering a lot, because I do. Um, and, I, and I'm not, that, I'm not coming back at you, Sarah, at all. No, um, I know, no, I know. I do talk about sin and suffering, because sin is real in my life, and I have suffered. Um, I'm processing all of this and wondering what, you know, where I am in all of this. And, and, um, I don't, yeah, anyway, it, like I said, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, but Todd's piece was helpful well, and, and made me think. I also think there's, I mean, I, I mean, RJ, like you've taken this wonderful new job at this incredible church. There's a lot of exciting things happening in your life. That's and true. And I think that yep. that's. You know, you guys are anticipating a move. You got your oldest is going to go to college. Um, you you have a, your youngest is at that incredible age where they're doing something new and funny and different every single day. And it's so there's so much newness and beauty in a child that age. And I, you know, I think it kind of it kind of reminds me a bit of like a marriage and how it's very rare that we're both really sad. And there's always one of us. And I think God, I really do think God has people among us like you who are um, holding maybe all of the sadness that's happening, but also all these really wonderful things that are happening in your life are maybe a little bit louder and that, that we need that too. I mean, maybe. you know, I don't know. I just, I think that there's purpose and not everyone feeling, I God, I hope everyone doesn't feel as crazy and sad as I do right now. Well, I think there's a fear of, of that you're invalidating someone's pain by, by saying anything. Um, and you know your your dear friend and our contributor Ann Lowry Forster, she she wrote a piece mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. It's called "Say Something," talking about her one of her own children who had who had undergone a very intense surgery. And yeah. she said that there is a great idea that's been articulated recently in our landscape: the idea of a ministry of presence. You don't have to say anything at all. Ye who are paralyzed by your fear of saying the wrong thing, you can just be. And this is so true. Weeping with those who weep often means exactly that: keeping your mouth shut and being present can be very much a gift. However, God created through the spoken word. He revealed himself with a whole bunch of words, and at the climax of history, the God-man did not die in silent dignity. He cried, it is finished. The work Mm -hmm. of redemption would have been completed, of course, if Christ had not said a thing, but aren't we so glad that he did? 
God loves words, and so do his people. Words are of great value, and silence is not always the answer. Then she gave the, her sort of five tips of things you can say to someone who's grieving, which are, mm-hmm. I am aware, I am willing, I am praying, and you, you are precious. And then the fifth, the fifth thing would be, I am still here, I am still aware, still willing, and still praying. I thought that was just mm. a, in the, the midst of this chasm of like, let's just sit sit in our pain and give us give each other the grace to express the pain, which is a very r- true ministry to other people. It's not as though the voice from the heavens doesn't occasionally sh- also shout back, and what it has shouted back in Jesus Christ Himself is um, is Easter Sunday. So um, yes. And I was, I was struck by it in the midst of, uh, you know, uh, there was an interview with Kate Bowler in the New York Times of how to live in the face of fear, lessons from a cancer survivor, Bowler, who, is, who teaches at uh, Duke, and has uh, kind of become a bit of a social media presence. Um, she, she, she was asked in this interview, what is revealing about the collective soul of the country or the world right now? And she said, I think it's painful for everyone to know that there's just not a lot of room between anybody and the very edge. It really does run counter to the whole American story. It's a story about how scrappy individuals will always make it. And it's a story about how Americans' collective self-understanding will always build something that will save the nation. And currently, both things are not true. Everyone else in the world will suffer too. But I don't think they will suffer nearly the same cultural disillusionment because they don't have the same amount of exceptionalism. Well, what do you make of the idea, the interviewer asked, that we should all just stay positive through this? Uh, this I, the idea that we're all supposed to be positive at a time like this become, has become an American obsession. It gives us momentum and purpose to feel like the best is yet to come, but the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or not speak realistically about their circumstances. And in that sense, we are advocating for lament. Um, That's me talking. But she goes, the main problem is that uh, staying positive adds shame to suffering by just requiring everyone to be prescriptively joyful. If I see one more millionaire on Instagram yell that she is choosing joy while selling journals in which stay-at-home moms are supposed to write joy mantras, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. I have no expectation, and then she talks about prayer, I have no expectation that prayer works in a direct way, but I do hope that every person, religious or not, feels the permission to say, I'm at the edge of what I know, and in the face of the sea of abyss, someone out there, please show me love. Because that's, to me, the only thing that fills up the darkness. Now, what she's not saying, I don't think, or what I'm not hearing, is that you just, a prayer in a time of pandemic is simply the act of saying, screaming into the void, uh, please love me. Because she's also allowing for the fact that sometimes uh, the void uh, answers back. And um, to, to approach, sometimes what I hear behind these endorsements of lament is a failure to, ex- to uh, a lack of faith that God will ever actually respond with anything like grace or comfort or in fact or salvation actual healing, actual healing. Yeah. god actually present yeah. in the world it's almost yes. like a yes. it feels almost deistic sometimes that understanding yeah. of lament when we believe that yes life is pain human beings inflict terrible things on one another and themselves mm-hmm. and yet god also has not just entered into that but has redeemed it has suffered it and i'll read a final article before we're done but before i do what what do you think about that, Kate? Kate Bowlers. Well, I um, I, I keep thinking like there's not actually a song that starts off with like I have so many questions, and then that's just the end. <laughs> um, that's the joke in my head. But um, I 
it's not just a I series of question marks. It's just like, I have, yeah, and then it's just a series of question marks. I have so many questions. Um, I, <laughs> I just want to keep going because it's like, I don't really believe in you, God. What do you think? Question mark. You know what I mean? Like, WTF. Just... That's the whole song. <laughs> um, I love what she says about American exceptionalism and this idea of, of we think you know, everything is going to, and we're, she's so right though. And it's totally going to happen. Everyone's going to be like, we're, you know, everything is going to be even better now. And this idea of like, what if the, you know, the best is yet to come. And I, I do think like, what, um, what if the best has already happened? I don't know. There's a part of me that like wonders that because I do think fundamentally, you know, when we transition back into what is beyond this, it sounds like it's going to have to be different, at least for a time. And so, but then I also think like, what if our version of what the best is, is so misconstrued and so individualistic um, that, you know, what What if this time is kind of us actually figuring out what the best is? I don't know. Like, I, I do think some of that is, like, happening certainly um, in our relationships with the people that we're living with if we're lucky enough to have people in the house with us. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's an, it is interesting how this will be optimized. Um, and I'm already kind of weary of that even like even now i mean instagram is a is a difficult place to be at certain moments right now because there is this like oh my god there was a meme that went around that's like have you prayed about it as much as you've complained about it did you guys see that and i was like uh no i no actually i could complain a lot more i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i just was like Oh I'm my go- God! I'm going for the record, is- no one's praying after they read this <laughs> record. So, um, I don't know. It's 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 hard. I mean, Dave, I really do like cling to what you said. Like, no one's doing this the right. Like, no one's doing this right. You know, like there's so much mercy and grace for for us to be found in that, and um, to be found in. I mean, I don't know. To be found in Easter, like I keep thinking about. You know, we're all in the same sort of liturgical boat where Easter lasts for 50 days. And um, and that feels like a real gift right now. Like that feels like a real transition right now. And I don't know if that's just my brain kind of trying to optimize like New Year's resolutions. But like today I felt better and I took a walk before the podcast and I thought and prayed about the fact that I actually believe that Jesus can enact real healing in our lives, real physical healing in our lives, real emotional healing in our lives. And that I'm really clinging to that right now um, for myself and for people I know who are sick and for people I know who are pastoring churches in New York city. And mm. I don't know. I, I mean, that's kind of where I'm, where I am. The part of this article I liked the most that I resonated the most with was when she talked about having a morning plan and an evening plan. Mm. Um, Because I'm not a lamenter, but I am a worrier. And when I wake up in the morning first thing, usually pretty early, the first thought that runs through my head is something that I need to get done. The the first emotion I usually have is is worry, is anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, But my morning plan is, okay, set it aside, um, go make the coffee, 
take a shower, have a cup of coffee and see how you feel, you know? Yeah. Um, and sort of, you know, I've done enough uh, mindfulness stuff just to sort of hopefully let things, let emotions, not try to chase them away or, or hold on to them, but to let, realize that I'll feel differently 20 minutes from now than I do, than I do at this moment. Um, and then the same thing at night. I think my wife and I, we, we often break this rule, but we have found it's not a great idea to have any kind of serious conversation mm-hmm. after a certain hour because mm-hmm. it's just not going anywhere good. Mm-mm. You know, wait, wait for the next day. Um, so I found that to be helpful and true, just to, to, to know yourself well enough to recognize that when you have some of these negative emotions to, um, to be good to yourself and to, to find things that will bring you joy and peace and not just sort of increase the, the, the negativity. And then in terms of, um, answered prayer, my thought on that, Dave and Sarah, as you were speaking is that, you know, I'm saying this to myself that I never believe that God will show up until he actually does. Like, I just don't, you know, um, and then he does, and it just, it's a miracle. It's like, oh my gosh, God does actually answer prayer. God does actually care about me. God will actually and is actually providing for my needs and the needs of my family in a way that I could have never possibly imagined. And my hope is that as I get older and I incur- and I encounter more seemingly impossible moments, because I know there's going to be more of them, that I'll be able to remember, you know, the three or four or five times when I was like, "There's how, how am I going to get out of this? There's no way God's going to show up. And to remember, but he did, but he did, but he did. And that that will make the whatever the current catastrophe is a little bit more bearable, mm. um, that I'll be able to find a little bit more peace and, and hope in the midst of those difficult times. So, because um, it's true, because God has been really good to me. Um, wow. Well, I can, I can, uh, <laughs> I can attest to that truth in your life. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> not kidding. Not kidding. Uh, aren't we all self-saboteurs in certain ways? Yes. You know, and I think I want to say one, one last thing. I think that the, the, the permission to lament often is directed at, at, at those, and it comes off as total grace to those who are raised in a church context or a faith context where they were told they were never allowed to express a negative emotion yes. to God. Yes. And For therefore sure. ended up having a highly edited or curated prayer life in which any kind of um, fear uh, was seen as a lack of faith or it was yes. a, rather than a sign of authenticity. And to that, we want to say, lament to your heart's content. God can take it. It is yes. you. You are free to really let him have it. Um, yeah. Where it is tipped over uh, in a, as a reaction, as an emotional reaction to a present to a real reality, is when people say that that's all that there is in that moment is to yes. lament. Because the truth is, we d- it's not just we are not just a religion of questions, but we there are some answers, not in often in the ways we would prefer there to be. But the cross is a revelation of God. Easter Sunday, the, the empty yes. tomb is an actual statement in history. And in fact, what the, the, this was brought home to me, and we'll close with this, is a very powerful reflection from a new writer uh, named Josh Musser Gritter, who wrote a piece called When Jesus Got Infected. And he's writing about Luke 5 when uh, Jesus deals with a leper. And he talks about leprosy being, you know, in in infection, a contagious, uh, you know, it, he is, this is the ultimate contagion here, uh, that the man was covered in leprosy. And the, the verse, says, Jesus, if you choose, you make, you can make me clean. 
At first, Jesus does not speak, um, Josh writes. And then he does something unthinkable, unimaginable. I will never read those words the same way again after this pandemic. And those words are, then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, this is, this is uh, Musser Gritter speaking. As the foggy sadness of unknowing haunts me, as I stare at my Bible feeling absolutely incapable to find a word to say to my weary congregation, I imagine Jesus standing there in front of me. My head is bowed to the ground in shame like that leper, in guilt, in powerlessness. I am lonely and covered in fear and anxiety, begging for answers. And then Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches me. He touches all of us, touches our despair, touches our isolation, touches our attempt to do the pandemic better than others. Apparently, there is one for whom social distancing does not apply. Maybe our prayer for today could simply be, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And the good news is that he does choose. The bad news for Jesus is that touching us will come at an immeasurable cost to God. We have now become familiar enough with the pandemic protocols to know that what will happen to Jesus when he touches all that now infects us, he too will be infected. Jesus will feel it all, become it all. This is not just the story of the healing of a sick man. It is also the story of the spread of a disease to God. It was an early church father who said, Christ cannot redeem that which he does not taste. Well, mm. now Jesus, Jesus gets a golden corral buffet-sized taste of human brokenness. Jesus is covered in disease, covered in uncleanness, covered in sin. It's everywhere. He will carry the virus we gave him all the way to Calvary. But there on the cross, this virus doesn't have a snowball's chance. For the last enemy to be defeated is death. Death and all of its symptoms. Take heart, friends. Jesus will not quarantine himself from you. So good. Amen to that. Maybe, maybe, uh, uh, who knows what will happen from this quarantine. Maybe Weird Al will write an incredible album. <laughs> he hasn't already. Had, had to bring it full circle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys soon. Any, uh, <laughs> blessings to Great all to of you, you in the midst of this. You as well, Dave. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.mbird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at mbird.com. Audio production for The Mockingcast is provided by the Narrativo Group. And if you like what you've heard, please do drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Until next time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.